0: all right we are in the gospel of mark if you're new here with us this morning we've been doing a series for several weeks now through the gospel of mark and we've called this jesus the servant king because in the gospel of mark we see that jesus came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many mark chapter 10 verse 45 Which uh, many highlight as a key verse in the Gospel of Mark. So Jesus came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, but we also see Jesus as a king. We see him operating in authority, we see him bringing the kingdom of God, healing the sick. Opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears, delivering those who are demonically oppressed. And so we see Jesus, the king, in action. And we see what the king does with his authority. He comes and he serves those in need. Amen? And so uh, we're going to continue our series today in chapter 9 of Mark. And I've titled this message, Beholding the glory of Christ. If you would turn there in Mark chapter 9, and as you're turning there, uh, let me just give a recap of what we talked about last week. Um, Last week we looked at how uh, Peter got revelation from God, from the Father of who Jesus is. Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say one of the prophets, and and Jesus said, but who do you say I am? And he said, Peter responded, you're the Christ. You're the Christ. And and Peter's finally, he's getting revelation of who Jesus is. He's getting a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. And we see Jesus patiently walking with his disciples and helping them understand who he is and what his mission is. And just shortly after, Peter has this high point and he says, "You're the Christ." Just just moments later, not not much time later, he's he's getting in the way of what the Christ, what the Messiah Jesus came to do, namely to suffer and to die. He, Jesus goes in, and, he, and he's in chapter eight. He started teaching what it meant for him to be the Christ and what the Christ would do, what the Messiah would do. Namely, he would be rejected by the religious leaders, by by the Israelites. He would suffer, he would die, and he would rise again. Jesus basically shared with Peter and the disciples the gospel. And they needed help to grasp that. They needed to, to understand the gospel. And, and, and Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him uh, for, for saying that he's going to suffer and die. Like, Peter could get behind the idea of Jesus taking up a crown as the king... But he had a hard time getting behind the idea of Jesus taking up a cross as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. As I mentioned last week, there, was, there were lots of ideas about the Messiah. And most of the popular ideas about the Messiah didn't involve Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 as Jesus, the Messiah being a suffering servant. The, 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 the one common thought uh, regarding the Messiah in the first century was that he would come as this military leader and fight and overtake the, the Roman oppressors. And as I mentioned last week, Jesus came first to deal with the oppressor of Satan and sin and deliver people from the kingdom of darkness. And break the power of the kingdom of darkness, destroy the kingdom of darkness. Um, and so Peter gets in the way. And, and, and Jesus rebukes them and he says, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. All right. And so, so Jesus went on and he was teaching them about uh, what he as the Messiah came to do. And here we see um, we see Jesus giving his disciples a glorious glimpse of who he is. Remember a couple of weeks ago before, before last week we, we talked about how uh, the, the disciples struggled with spiritual blindness. Not only did the Pharisees have spiritual blindness and they were seeking a sign and they, 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 they didn't see who Jesus was in spite of all the miracles. They wanted some other sign for confirmation of who Jesus was. And even the disciples struggled with still grasping who he was in spite of all the miracles. And so we see this gradual opening of their eyes as Jesus healed the blind man in two stages. The blind man started to see people that looked like trees. And then he touched them again and he he healed them so that he could see 20-20 vision. Well, here we see the vision, the spiritual vision of the disciples, particularly Peter, James, and John getting a little bit clearer because Jesus takes them up onto a mountain and he gives them a glimpse of his glory. Let's look at Mark chapter 9, verse 1. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them and and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Jesus and Peter They no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen. Until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. It's kind of an important doctrine there, the gospel, right? The resurrection (laughs) They're still getting it gradually. Their eyes are being opened here. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that, that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it that the Son of Man, how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has come. And they did to him Whatever they please, as it is written of him. So here's our big idea this morning Jesus manifested his glory before his disciples, and they were to behold his glory and become more Christ centered as a result. Jesus manifested his glory before their disciples, and they were to behold his glory and become more Christ centered. As a result. Now let's start with verse 1 here. And, and, And a lot of commentators connect this with the previous passage. In the same setting. Where Jesus said, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So here's a promise, particularly to those that he just called to a radical cost of discipleship. Remember he said at the end of chapter 8, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. you got to take up your cross, and you've got to follow me. There's, there is suffering, and there is a cross, and there is challenges involved in following Jesus. But there is glory involved, and glory that awaits you and I, who walk through the fire with the Savior. There's glory on the other end. But here, these guys, he said that, 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 that they would get to see the kingdom of God, after it had come with power, they would get a they would get a foretaste, they would get a, a, a glimpse of the, the kingdom of God come with power. Now, uh, and, uh, theologians have some different thoughts on what's going on here. Some think that it's referring to the second coming of Jesus because he mentioned that at the end of chapter eight, but. But others highlight that it's fulfilled right here in this transfiguration and in the following events. It doesn't have to be interpreted as just one event here. Okay? So, so it, you got these three that experience this glimpse of glory. The king uh, being transfigured right before their eyes. And then all of the disciples later on, they get to see Jesus resurrected from the dead. D.A. Carson points that out, that that's that's the fulfillment of it there, the resurrection from the dead. Talk about power. Talk about the kingdom of God breaking in and conquering death. Look at the resurrection from the dead. But also look to Pentecost and the outpouring of the spirit of God upon the people of God. And then the early church just flourishing and the kingdom of God spreading like wildfire. And expanding with power, coming with power. And so Jesus said that there were some who were going to see the kingdom of God, come in power. William Lane points this out about this this scene. He says the Transfiguration scene develops as a new Sinai theophany with Jesus as the central figure. okay The Gospel of Mark as we looked at at the very first verse of Mark, is about Jesus, alright? And arguably the entire Bible is about Jesus. It points us to Jesus. We see Jesus in every one of the 66 books of the Bible. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he were, was walking with his disciples, a couple of disciples. And they didn't recognize who it was. And he started talking to them, explaining the Christ, how the Christ was in the law and in the prophets and in the Psalms, how they were pointing to him. In John chapter 5, Jesus told the, the religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you'll, you'll, you have life. But you won't come to me that you may have life knowing that the, the scriptures, they testify about me. You see, the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, they point us to Jesus. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. Amen? Amen. And so we want to become more Christ-centered as we read the pages of Scripture, as we read this text even this morning, that we would align ourselves with with Jesus, that we would allow Jesus to be central in our lives, in our thoughts. Now let me just uh, first uh, talk a little bit about uh, this inner circle that Jesus had. So Jesus had the 12, right, that he invested and he spent more time with than he did with the crowds. But then he had these other three guys, as Charles Spurgeon calls them, the elect of the elect. He had these three guys that he took them into uh, s- specific, sp- uh, special moments. Like um, when he healed Jairus' daughter. Okay? He, he didn't let everyone else come in, but he just brought Peter, James, and John to be there in that moment. In this moment... Which, which is a glorious moment, of a, a, a powerful, profound moment. Jesus invites only these three disciples to join him. Okay? And, and remember in the garden, in, in, in one of Jesus' most difficult, darkest moments, he just brought these three guys in, Peter, James, and John. And he brought, brought them to come watch and pray with them, And he shared his heart with these three guys. In in a deeper way than he did with anybody else. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. He shared with them. This is in Mark chapter 14. He shared with these guys the burden, the, the struggle. And he brought them into this high moment. And he brought them into this really low, difficult, dark valley moment. Okay, and they got to experience that. And perhaps this was to strengthen them for what was to come. Because they were, they were with him here at this high moment when he, when he transfigured and, and they, they saw him in his glory. They got a glimpse of the deity of Jesus. You see, the, the, when, when people would look at Jesus in, in a human body, there wasn't anything physically attractive that said, He's the Messiah, just by looking at his outward appearance, Right? He just seemed like an ordinary guy to many people, and actually his own hometown they 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 had this familiarity with Jesus as we talked about they they were they were having a hard time believing that Jesus was uh, somebody great right like how did this guy get this this teaching and how where did he uh, get this ability to do these things that he 's doing so he was kind of he was veiled in flesh as the the christmas hymn uh, Uh, declares veiled in flesh the Godhead see hell incarnate deity and so Jesus brings in Peter James and John the first point I want to highlight here is that Jesus's glory exceeded that of the former kings and prophets so somebody greater than Moses is here somebody greater than Solomon is here somebody greater than David is here the king is here. Somebody greater than the prophet Moses is here. And he transfigured right before their eyes. He had, he had already done all these other miracles. He had already done these miraculous things, but here's something supernatural going down right before the eyes of the three disciples here. His, his clothes became radiant, intensely white. As no one on earth could bleach them. This points to a supernatural um, uh, glow, if you will, uh, that, was, that was about Jesus. And so his glory exceeded that of the former kings and prophets. The book of Hebrews spends a lot of time unpacking this idea. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 spends time unpacking this idea. There's someone greater here, and that's Jesus and in this moment, the disciples are getting a glimpse of that. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. So, why why Elijah and why Moses? You know, there's a lot of other folks in the Old Testament that could have popped in with Jesus in this special moment. But why? Why Elijah and why Moses? Well, Elijah represents the prophets. He was probably one of the... The, uh, the most powerful prophets, if you will. God worked through him supernaturally in a powerful way. Though he doesn't have a book like Isaiah with 66 chapters of, of his own writings. Um, he, he walked in the power of God. Okay? And then uh, we have Moses who represents the law. Moses represents the law. It was through Moses that came the law of God from from Mount Sinai that the people of God got revelation from God. And so you got Elijah and Moses who both represented the law and the prophets talking with Jesus. I wonder what they were talking about. Well, it's up here. And when when you look in Luke's gospel, Luke gives us a little insight into what they were talking about. It says, Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. And they spoke of his departure, or exodus, if you will. Okay? Here's another exodus. Departure. His departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Alright? And this, this is like a holy moment. This is the holies of holies that, that the disciples were brought into and they're talking about God's great redemptive work that's about to happen in human history. It's going to change everything. And so Jesus came to fulfill the demands of the law that no one else could fulfill. Jesus kept the law. He was perfectly righteous. And you and I have all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. We have failed to keep God's righteousness standard but jesus is that lamb of god the spotless lamb of god he didn't have spot or blemish he didn't have any sin he was without sin and he was able to become the sacrifice for our sins as the righteous spotless lamb of god and jesus also came and he fulfilled prophecies concerning the messiah prophecies that spoke about the messiah who would come he he fulfilled those he fulfilled those as the suffering servant. He fulfilled those as the, the uh, being born of a virgin. He fulfilled those by he healing the lame, the blind, the mute. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Right? So Jesus did that. That's what he came to do. He came to do what you and I have failed to do. We've failed to keep God's law. And we need his righteousness, which is given to us freely as a gift through faith. David Garland, in his commentary, um, compares, contrasts Moses and Jesus here. I found this helpful. Uh, Moses goes up with three named persons, seventy uh, plus seventy elders up to the mountain. Exodus twenty-four, Mark nine. Jesus takes three of his disciples up the mountain. Moses' skin shines uh, when when he uh, descends the from the mountain. Jesus is transfigured and his clothes become radiantly white. Okay, a voice from. From a cloud spoke in Exodus twenty four. A voice speaks from a cloud in, in Mark 9 7. People are afraid to come near Moses after he descends from the mountain. Exodus thirty-five. And the people in Mark 9, the people are astonished when they see Jesus after he descends from the mountain. And so so Moses was reflecting the glory of God as he got a glimpse remember Moses wanted to see the glory of God he asked for a glimpse of the glory of God and and God said you know "You, you can't see my face and live so I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and 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 so so he did that and he passed by he caused his goodness to pass by Moses Moses got a little glimpse of his backside And God passed by proclaiming that he's the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And Moses was radiant, reflecting the glory of God like the moon reflects the light from the sun. But here we have Jesus, who's not merely reflecting the glory of God like the moon does the sun. We have the sun, the S O N sun, radiating and beaming as the source of light. Expressing the glory of God, someone even greater is here, and that glory will never fade away. It endures forever. And so you have someone greater here, greater than Moses, greater than the law, and greater than the prophets. Jesus, and I love how he's. In in, in a moment, he's the, the other two leave. Moses and Elijah are gone, and it's just Jesus there. Right. Because Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. Now Peter, Peter decides to, to start talking here, um, in, in this moment, <clears throat> thinking he, he has a good idea. He's gonna he's gonna try to create some. Uh, oops, excuse me. Here he's gonna try. He says, "Rabbi." In this moment, he says, "Rabbi." It's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. I can relate with Peter. Here was a guy who had words, he had something to say when there was nothing to say. He had something to say when there's nothing to say. He had unnecessary words. He felt like he should say something, and he was saying the obvious here. It's good for us to be here. Of course it's good for you to be here. I brought you up here, bro just enjoy it all right rabbi it's good that we're here yeah yeah that's right let us let us make three tents one for you one for moses one for elijah that sounds honorable you know knowing the old testament uh background and and the idea of the tabernacle and and just wanting to honor the 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 glory and the presence of god right there like let's let's create some shrines right here let's Forget about those other guys. we got this right here. Let's just set up right here. Camp out right here. But the Lord has a bigger plan. Bigger plan that includes the world. Includes the kingdom of God. And the presence of God. And the glory of God. Covering the earth as the water covers the sea. And the kingdom of God expanding. And and every tribe and every tongue being brought in and redeemed and worshipping around the throne. But uh, Peter starts making plans in this holy moment. He's taking initiative. I love his initiative. I love his boldness. I love that he wasn't reserved, and, and he would st- he stepped out of the boat when nobody else did. He spoke up when when others didn't. But but here Jesus isn't too impressed with his plans, and neither is the Father from heaven, right? Um, and I and I can totally relate to this. I can totally relate to this like we have an experience with God. I'm experiencing God and I start thinking, okay, we should do this and that. We should we should start this ministry or that ministry. And oftentimes God reminds me of this and he brings me back to this place. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Too often we're so focused on what we're going to do for God and we need to slow down and take in what he has done for us. And we need to behold his glory and get a glimpse of who he is and allow that to shape us and permeate all our plans that we make concerning what we're going to do for God. What, we, what, we're, what we're telling God we're going to do for him. Verse 6, I love this. He did not know what to say. But he said something. Something. He didn't know what to say, but he said something. And he was afraid. Does anybody do that when you're afraid? You just start talking? No? I can relate to this guy. And I'm, I'm thankful for the Lord's patience with him. Hebrews, 3, Hebrews 1 1 through 3. Says long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He doesn't merely reflect the radiance of the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power and after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high so listen to the son listen to jesus heed that divine voice from heaven from the father this is my beloved son listen to him now remember, he's echoing that. This is, he already said this once in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 1. When Jesus was baptized, right? The Father spoke from heaven. The Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. you got the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all on one scene here. And the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Before Jesus even started his ministry, he had the pleasure of the Father over his life. He radiates the glory of God. In verse 9, or verse 8, suddenly looking around, when no one saw anyone with them, uh, uh, and suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. So they disappeared, right? Suddenly they're just, they're gone. They disappeared, Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, It's better to hear the Son of God than to see saints or to build tabernacles. This will please the Father more than anything else that love can suggest. Spurgeon goes on and he says, The good pleasure of the Father and the Lord Jesus is a, is a conspicuous part of his glory. Listen to this. The voice conveyed to the ear a greater glory than, then the luster of light could communicate through the the eye. The audible part of the transfiguration was as wonderful as the visible. In fact, it would seem from the next verse to have been more so. They were terrified. They were in awe. Which led them to be speechless. Right? Before the holy presence of God. And so God the Father speaks, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Be Christ centered. Allow Jesus to influence you more than any other voice. Right now we live in a day where there are so many voices shouting and screaming and got messages messages coming in from all different directions. Notifications there's so many different voices. But this is the voice that should, should dominate in our life. This is the voice that should have the greatest influence in our life. The voice of our Savior. The voice of our Shepherd. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They listen. and They follow. That's us, saints. That's us. Do you hear the voice of Jesus this morning? And thankfully, we have this book that contains the words of Jesus. And we hear this book that has the, that the Spirit has breathed upon, inspired 66 books of the Bible. And we have the, the words of Jesus recorded here. And we can hear His voice through the Scripture. And we can hear His voice through the Spirit who dwells in each one of us who are believers Are you listening Are you listening to the voice of Jesus Are you are you paying attention to him William Lane He says this uh, he has a great commentary on the Gospel of Mark he says Jesus alone remained as the sole bearer of God's new revelation to be disclosed in the cross and resurrection Moses and Elijah had followed the path of obedience but having bore witness to Jesus, his character, and his mission, they can help him no more. The way of the cross demanded the submission of the Son, and Jesus must set out upon it alone. The Transfiguration, however, has disclosed a new aspect of God's truth. Jesus is the new tabernacle of divine glory. His word indeed transcends all past revelation. This was the truth which the disciples were confronted when they realized they were once again alone in the presence of Jesus. Amen. Let me go back here. So Jesus deserves our attention, he deserves our affection, and he deserves our allegiance. Okay, The Father expresses his delight, his affection in his Son in these powerful words. He interrupts Peter's unnecessary words while Peter was carrying on. He interrupts him and he booms from heaven, this is my beloved Son, listen to him. So give him your affection as the beloved son of God. Adore him. Give him the affection that the father gives. Love Jesus. Love the son. Give him your attention. Listen to him. Incline your ear to him and give him your allegiance. Don't merely be a hearer of his word, but be a doer of his word. Obey what what he says. Obey what he tells you. This, uh, this moment when the, the cloud overshadowed them reminds, of, reminds me of a couple of different moments in the scripture. One is uh, just the spirit of God hovering over the waters at the beginning of creation. And God spoke, let there be light. And then at the uh, incarnation, when the angel visited Mary in Luke chapter 1. She's like, how is this going to happen? The, and he said, the spirit of the most high will overshadow you. Right, And so we we have this cloud that overshadowed the disciples and the voice spoke from heaven. So what was going on here with this voice? The voice assured the disciples. Robert Plummer says the voice assured the disciples that although the Jews might reject him and the Romans put him to death, yet he was accepted and beloved by God. Remember, Jesus said he was about to go to the cross. And they must have felt some kind of whiplash from that. Kind of like when you're riding a roller coaster and you just you get whiplash. There must have been some kind of mental whiplash. Like like Peter's like, "You're the Christ, you're the Messiah." And then Jesus began to teach them how he would suffer and he would die. And his plans seemed to be messed with. Peter's plans. Like I, that that wasn't in my plan, Jesus, right? And so this voice from heaven must have assured them, Robert Plummer says, Uh, this must have helped prepare them for the suffering that would come. Jesus himself, the suffering that he would endure. He was talking with Moses and Elijah about the cross, about suffering and dying for the sin of the world. And remember when he prayed in the garden, Luke tells us that that after he resisted the temptation and said, "Not my will, but yours be done, he was strengthened by angels in that moment right and so this must help help bring some reassurance to the disciples. John Stott points this out a couple couple of different reasons um for for this. Uh, experience this voice from heaven and this transfiguration one is just reassurance that through the suffering that through suffering the messiah would enter into glory yeah the crown the crown belongs to jesus as the king but so does the crown of thorns as the servant king he would take up and it's fulfillment as well John Stott points out you got a couple of different verses here. Psalm uh, two, verse seven, where, where he says, "You are my son." Isaiah forty-two, one, in whom I delight, my servant, in whom I delight. And Deuteronomy eighteen, fifteen, speaking through about another prophet that would be raised up, a, a one different than Moses. And it says, "Listen to him." It also, uh, this voice from heaven and transfiguration also uh, was an anticipation of uh, the uh, a body, the, his transfigured body was in fact his resurrection body in anticipation. They got a glimpse. They got a glimpse of the glory. Jesus was going to be resurrected, his body was going to be resurrected from the dead. And by the way, you and I get. New, resurrected, glorious bodies as well. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, you and I, too, will rise with him. And there will be no more disease, no more decay. John Stott also points out this. He says that Jesus was acclaimed in his three offices, prophet, priest, and king. The king who would rule over the nations, the priest servant who would offer himself in sacrifice for sin, and the prophet who would complete the revelation of God. Amen. Second Peter, Peter is recalling this experience. And he says in verse 2 Peter 1.16, he said, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw his majesty, his glory. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him. By the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. So this was assurance for Peter. Apostolic assurance. An assurance for you and I. An affirmation of the father's approval upon Jesus. And what he would do for us as the Son of God. So why did this happen? Why did, why, what was this experience about here? We're, I mean, it's a very interesting experience in, in Mark chapter 9. And I, I know I wrestled through uh, this just preparing and, and preaching this. Um, Danny Akin gives a number of reasons why this happened. What was going on here? It was to reveal Jesus as God incarnate, he said. It was to strengthen Christ as he began his march to the cross. It was to fortify his disciples in obeying the call to radical discipleship. He had just given them some some really heavy demands if they were going to be followers of his. It was to demonstrate that the Messiah, Jesus, was the fulfillment of the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah, as God's final, complete, and climactic revelation. It was a confirmation of Peter's confession. You are the Christ. It was to teach that the Messiah who was crucified is the same Messiah who will reign over the kingdom in glory. By the way... Note that Jesus told them not to say anything. So he brought these three guys up there. He told them not to say anything until after he was raised from the dead. Now this gives us some insight because there's been several times throughout Mark that Jesus says, Hey, don't go spreading this around. Like he heals somebody or, or even when, when they said, You're the Messiah, uh, when Peter said that, he, he, he tells them not to spread that prematurely. Okay. Alright? After he was raised from the dead, they were to herald that message. And it would, be, it would be wrong for them to sit around with the knowledge that Jesus was raised from the dead. That, that the Son of God came and he, and he sacrificed his life for us and was raised from the dead. It would be wrong for them not to say anything. Just like it would be wrong for you and I not to go and spread the good news. Because Christ is risen from the dead and we should herald that good news everywhere we go. We should tell others about his rescue coming into the world, giving his life for us. Danny Akin goes on and he says, uh, it was, uh, the transfiguration was to encourage the disciples in light of Jesus' prediction of his passion, his suffering. It was, it was fulfilled. At least in part, it fulfilled the promise of Mark 9-1, that there were some who were going to taste, see the kingdom of God come with power. It reaffirmed the Father's love and delight in the Son that he declared in, at his baptism. And it calls us to trust and follow the one and only Son who is the image of God's glory. In Jesus, in Jesus alone, we can behold the glory and the greatness of God in our lives. You and I are wired to behold the beauty and the glory of God. I mean, just think about this. We, we, we pay so much money to go to certain scenic views in this country or in the world. People are traveling all over the world this summer. Going to see majesty, beauty, glory, and goodness. And take a picture of it. Take a selfie with their family. Get a snapshot of that glory while you're there. Alright? Just to, to authentic, authenticate the experience. We were there. We saw the glory of the Grand Canyon. Of Yosemite. We saw, we saw the glory of, of the uh, Hawaiian Mountains right we're wired for this god has wired us to behold his glory and to worship him as a response david said in psalm 27 verse 4 uh 4 he said one thing i've desired of the lord and that will i seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and behold, beholding his beauty and inquiring in his temple. You and I are wired for this, to behold his glory. And listen, if you don't, if you don't let the glory and the beauty and the goodness of God captivate you, then you're going to allow the, the things of this world to captivate you in your attention and your affections. We're wired for God. We're wired to behold His glory, to worship Him, to love Him, to see and savor Him. And if you're a Christian, the grace of God has visited you and your eyes have been opened to see the beauty of who He is. Your eyes have been opened to see the glory of who he is. And as you and I behold his beauty, behold his glory, we, re- we reflect, we stay there, we're changed. We're changed, we're transformed. And that's what he wants for each of us. And so let me just close in some application here Be centered on the person of Christ, saints. Be Christ centered. Here at City Church, that is a part of our vision, to know Jesus, love people, and impact your world. We want to make Jesus the main point. He is the main point. It's all about him. Christ be magnified. Paul said, whether I live or die, Christ will be magnified in my body. He's the point. He's the point of the whole universe. Everything's created by him, through him, and for him. He's the point. And so we want to point others to him. We want to reflect his glory. We want to enjoy who he is and exalt who he is and explain to others who he is. Because it's all about him. And the father affirms this. He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Give him your attention. Give him your affection. Give him your allegiance. And Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes upon Jesus. That's the other application point. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your gaze on Jesus. Just centralize on him. Think about him, look at him, ponder who he is, reflect on who he is, let his words penetrate your heart and your life and influence your thoughts and just be, be weaved in what you think and what you say and what you do. Let us be a Christ-centered people. And lastly, listen to Jesus after Peter re- referred to this experience on the mountain and 2 Peter chapter 1, he said, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. Pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. Pay attention. Isn't this challenging in our day? It seems like it's more challenging in our day than it's ever been in history to pay attention Many people struggle with attention deficit disorder and struggle to pay attention for long periods of time. And, and no doubt our digital age and all our technology and all our devices distracts us and, and grabs and captivates our attention. But we would do well if we would pay attention to Jesus, if we would give him our attention and our affection. And be changed. Second, Second Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled faces behold, are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. So as we behold Him, as we listen to Him, as we fix our eyes on Him, we become more like Him. Those rough edges in our life get smooth get changed and he shapes us and he molds us as we behold who he is i'm sure you've had this experience when you're driving down the road and you start looking at something you fix your eyes on something catches your attention don't you tend to gravitate towards that thing that you're focusing on right and so when we focus our attention on him we're going to gravitate towards him but if we focus our attention on the things of this world we're going to gravitate towards those things Amen. Worship team, if you'd come on up. Lead us. I'd like to create a little space here for us to respond. To give Jesus our attention, to give Jesus our affection, to give Jesus our allegiance because he is worthy of it. If you're here today and you haven't yet given your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life... And your ears have been open today to listen to him. Your eyes have been open today. You've, you've sensed the Spirit drawing you today. I want to encourage you to respond to don't resist that to respond to the conviction of the Spirit to, to, to come to Jesus today and, and put your trust in him. He's your only hope for salvation, for freedom, for deliverance from your sin, your guilt, your shame. He's the only hope for healing for your hurt. He's the only hope for your anxiety, your depression, your purposelessness. He's what you need. He's who you need. So turn to Him. Turn to Him. Trust Him. I'd love to pray with anybody here who would like to commit their life to Christ for the first time or if there's somebody here today who's just been totally distracted you've been you've been captivated with the things of this world and and you're just reminded I need to come back to Jesus and give him my attention my affection my allegiance and you want to do that today I'd love to pray with anybody anybody who's in that place or you can pray right there in your seat and just talk to Him. just the scripture tells us that when we draw near to God he draws near to us in James chapter 4 Verse seven. It says, "Humble yourself." It says, "Repent, draw near to God; He will draw near to you." Amen. And so, Lord, would would you open our eyes that we would see Your glory, and would You meet us here in this place and captivate us with Your goodness, with Your grace, captivate us with Your beauty. And change us as we behold your glory. Make us more like Jesus. Make us more Christ-centered. Break the power of canceled sin in our lives. In Christ's name we pray.